It's uh, spring break, so we have a few absentees here this morning. Um, I got a bunch of calls this morning saying, it's spring break. Are we having Bible study? <laughs> it's, what is spring break? It's been so long. But, uh, yeah, counting today, we have three more lessons, and they basically follow the three missionary journeys of Paul in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible or electronic device, you can turn to Acts 13, and what you'll see in these, uh, these missionary journeys is it's kind of a divided deal. You see incredible things happening, churches being planted, hundreds of people coming to Christ, changing the world, yet at the same time you have opposition. So you've got all this great success and then all this great opposition. It's like, it's like you can't ever you know, get it one way or the other, and that's kind of the way the world is now. Uh, if you've noticed, I mean, wherever you go, I mean, you've got something good going on, but you've also got something against you and something bad going on. Kind of like this episode with uh, Seinfeld. You think of this stuff, I don't know. <laughs> All right, Acts 13. The rest of the book of Acts could be called the Acts of uh, Paul. You know, we, we said last week, the whole book is, is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because everything that's going on is moved by and caused by and powered by the Holy Spirit. But from this point on, beginning in chapter 13, it's, it's kind of a shift. It turns to the Apostle Paul. It's basically all the action has been before this in Jerusalem. But in chapter 11, we find uh, the center of the church is now moving to the Gentile world, specifically in Antioch, Syria. And so uh, Luke recorded these three missionary journeys that Paul took in previously unreached Asia Minor and, and areas like Greece. And so the theme of all three of these missionary journeys, you can find it in chapter 17, verse 6, He's, the guy says, he sees Paul and his disciples coming, and he says, these men have turned the world upside down. These men have turned the world upside down. And that's literally what God was doing. He was, in fact, though, the world is, is upside down, and God is turning it right side up. And uh, the world says, you know, we had it like we wanted, and this guy Paul came along and turned it around. Uh, the world wants a fixed system, if you've noticed, if you, if you look at the religions of the world and study them, what's happened is the world wants a fixed system that it control. It can control. A fixed system of worthless religion with world leaders abusing power, exercising greed, slavery, and, they, and these, ex, these religions have no meaning, no purpose, and no hope. But Paul came along and changed all of that. So he really did, he changed their world, turned their world upside down. I was looking at uh, several years ago, uh, Saturday Night Live. I usually don't get my theology from Saturday Night Live, but, 
they had an SNL skit, and we're in the uh, period now. We're getting ready to start March Madness, right? So they did a skit on March Madness, and they said, well, what if you took, you know how the, the, the brackets work, the bracketology, you have four different uh, sets of uh, 16, so a total of 64, and they seed each of the 16 in each bracket. But what they did in the skit, they said, what if the competition was of March Madness was actual madness of the human race? What would that look like? And so in bracket one, the first 16, bracket one, they had all the crazy African dictators. You know, and there's a bunch of them, right? And then uh, the number one seed was Muammar Gaddafi and that Mubarak guy, Oman's ruler, Sultan Caboose. That's a real guy. And Yemen's crazy guy and the guy at Bahrain and Sudan, all crazy as loons. Somalia, they're all nuts, right? Bracket two was all the Hollywood celebrity nut jobs like Charlie Sheen and Lindsay Lohan and Mel Gibson and the rest of them. Uh, bracket three was the Washington, D.C. politicians. <laughs> that was really easy to fill out, those 16. You know, just pick your favorite crazy politician. And bracket four was the Middle East people. <laughs> you can imagine. And I was thinking, well, number one on the list, obviously, would be the ISIS guy, uh, Abu Bakir al-Baghdadi. But you've also got the, uh, the North Korean guy's got to be in there somewhere. The, what's his name? Kim Jong-un, who's threatening us with nuclear weapons and everything. <laughs> I mean, these people are nuts. About uh, in, in Iran, you've got Ayatollah Khomeini and this guy named Amman Nutjob. <laughs> I mean, that's his name. <laughs> in Assyria, you've got Assad. I mean... What, this, what I'm trying to say and what I recognized on this bracketology with 64 people they actually filled out on the skit was, the world is crazy. These people, the whole world is, is, is mad as hatters. I, I, act, I was literally at uh, one of those Sunday programs like Meet the Press or something. They were interviewing a uh, past president and they said, what did you, you know, really think, now that you're at, what did you really think of all the world leaders? Are there a lot of those guys that are crazy? And this guy said, uh, truth be told, most of them are crazy as loons. You know, <laughs> the world is being run by crazy people. There's no doubt about it. And so my conclusion is they were saying that Paul was turning the world upside down. The fact is the world is upside down. And Paul and his guys were turning it right side up. Think of the madness of the first century that Paul lived in. The madness. Caligula, all the crazy Roman emperors, Caligula, Herod, Agrippa, Festus, Nero, Pilate, they're all nuts, you know? <laughs> That's the world he lived in in the first century. So the world was truly mad, and Paul and all of his guys were actually trying to turn it right side up. Because only Christ can do that. The world is out of control, it's upside down, and only Christ can get it back in order and turn it right side up. And so that's, that's what their job was, to go into the world and, and fix it.
by sharing Christ with people and changing their lives. Amazingly, uh, you know, picking this story up of the, of the church in Jerusalem in chapter 11, 15 years after Christ ascended to heaven, no one had, you remember the, the uh, Great Commission, J- Jerusalem, they, they did that in the first five or six, seven chapters, and then Judea and, uh, what did you say? Samaria. Yeah, Judea and Samaria uh, were next, and now today, but where else had they not gone? 15 years later, the rest of the world. They kind of like, the rest of the world, really? We have to, we have to go there? And so now in, in Acts 13, Paul is the one who's going to uh, take the lead in taking the gospel to the rest of the world, specifically Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and then Greece, and then Rome, and, and I think he ends up in Spain. And so he, he literally uh, took it to the next level and fulfilled the Great Commission. And chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, uh, is the first uh, mention of the church in Antioch, Syria. And we see that when the persecution arose way back, remember when they, they uh, martyred Stephen? And when that happened, a lot of the disciples were f- fleeing from the persecution out of Jerusalem. And, and a few of them w- actually went up to Antioch, Syria to hide. And when they went up there, they started a church up there in Antioch, Syria, and that's up uh, actually north and west of Damascus. And it, it just exploded. It, and it was a, a mostly Gentile church, and it just exploded. And by chapter 13, it has become the center of Christianity. Christianity is moving in that direction now. So uh, when you look at the church in Antioch, Syria, it says that it's growing, it's active, it was well taught. And they were praying for God's direction. It was well-staffed and teachers. They, the Jerusalem church wanted to know what was going up, going on. So they sent Barnabas up there, a prominent guy there in Jerusalem, a Jew. And so they sent Barnabas up there. And he got so into it up there that he stayed there for, for two years. And there was so much action that he went over to Tarsus and got, at that time, Saul, who would become Paul, who we're going to look at today. So Saul was his Jewish name, and Paul was his Gentile Greek name. And he went up and got him and brought him back to Antioch, and they ministered there for another year until the people, all the the people in the church there said, you know, we really ought to be involved in this missionary activity. We really need to let the rest of the world find out about this wonderful power, this force of Jesus Christ who's changed our lives and done so much for us. And so they decided, they were led by the Spirit, and they had a prophet there. He said, God, God's word, he wants you to send out Paul and Barnabas out into the world. And that's the beginning of these missionary journeys that they began in Acts chapter 13. So this, uh, I, I sent some of you a, a, a timeline you could see. This is like the late 40s that, the, that this missionary journey first starts, some where between 46 and 48 A.D., if you're looking at a timeline. And so uh, can you imagine a church that's, gonna, that's got Barnabas and Paul there teaching and preaching and willing to give them up? What a sacrifice that could be, that would be. I mean, I can't imagine if you had a, those guys in your church that, 
Instead, you probably send the elders and the deacons up there and say, well, we can certainly give you a raise, but we don't want you to leave. You know, <laughs> there's no way we want those guys leaving our church. So it was an amazing thing uh, to be led by the Spirit to send guys of that caliber out into the world to other people, really an act of love for the rest of the world. So in, uh, pick it up in Acts chapter 13. Uh, we see there were at Antioch in the church there uh, prophets and teachers and Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and lists all these people there that were active, and also Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, so that he spoke through these prophets there, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them to go out and be missionaries. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, that was called, kind of like a ceremony of ordaining them. The church is with you. We're going to support you. We're going to pay for this. And we ordain you to go out into the world. And so that's what he means by the laying on of hands. They sent them away. Uh, and so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, so they're, they're being guided. And also Barnabas was from Cyprus, I think, originally. And so Cyprus uh, is a large island there in the Mediterranean off the coast. And they thought that would be a good place to start. And so they, they went there. They sailed over to Cyprus. And when they reached uh, Salamis, one of the big cities there in Cyprus, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And so that's their method of operation. Wherever they go, they're going to look first for a synagogue because uh, there was usually, in all these Mediterranean cities, there was a Jewish presence. They were big merchants, and uh, they literally had little communities in all these towns around the Mediterranean. And it was the perfect place to start because... They had the scriptures. They had the Old Testament. So they understood those, and they could go in there and point out how all the prophets spoke of Christ and how he fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. They were also monotheistic. The rest of the world's polytheistic. So by going to this audience and kind of getting a, getting a footprint in that town or that area, it, it was a, a great uh, method of operation and also, in Paul and Barnabas' mind, the gospel, how many times in Scripture in the New Testament we see Paul say, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So that was their mindset as well. So it worked, and it was the way they were thinking. We're going to go to the Jew first and give them all the opportunity, and then if, they're, if they kick us out or we get everybody there, then we're going to go out into the Gentile world. And so... Uh, that's the way they did things. So they go to Cyprus, they go in this, uh, the synagogues there, and they run into, they also have John Mark, by the way, you know, the guy that wrote uh, one of the books of the Bible, the Gospel of Mark. He is with them at that time. I think things must have gotten real tough, though, when they went to the mainland because he slipped away and went home, you know. Uh, and Paul gets mad at him. That's a whole other story. Uh, so, when they were uh, at Paphos, they found a certain magician. So they were very superstitious all over the world, especially in those days. And so it was a great business to be in, to be a magician, uh, a guy who could claim to speak to the spirits and do tricks and, and uh, claim to have all kinds of power. 
but we're told here in verse 6 that he was a false prophet. And amazingly, his name is Bar-Jesus. Bar means son of. So he's actually just the opposite of that. And he was uh, with the governor. You probably had proconsul there. That was basically a uh, Roman term for governor of an area. Uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And by the way, we've, they've uncovered archaeologists some, uh, some ancient prescriptions with that guy's name on like, you know, different places, different buildings and what have you. So uh, this was a real guy. And he was proconsul, uh, and the man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he, he heard about the work they were doing, and he said, I want to talk to those guys. And so he, they came, and this magician guy, also called Elimus, uh, was opposing them. He, you know, what do people do when someone comes in and is going to take their guy away? He's got the ear of the governor and these guys come in, he goes, no, we can't have this kind of competition. we got to get rid of this guy. And so they're opposing Paul and Barnabas. And Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. So he says, I know exactly who you are and what you're about. You are full of deceit and fraud, and you're a son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? So I'd say Paul was pretty blunt with this, with this guy. Pretty straightforward. I think he knew where he stood. But I, and it's interesting because with so many other people, he's loving and he's flexible. But with guys like this that oppose the gospel, boy, he's rough. He goes right at them. He goes for the throat. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell over him, and he went about. He was blinded. You know, Paul blinded him supernaturally. And when the governor saw this, he went, whoa. And it says, then the proconsul believed in the message, believed in the gospel when he saw what had happened. And he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So what did he believe? The teaching of the Lord that Paul and Barnabas were speaking. And so that pretty good success, you know. Right off the bat, they go to Cyprus, and the governor, the, whole, the head guy in the whole area, comes to Christ. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea, so now they, okay, now it's time to go over to the mainland. So they're going to go up to uh, an area in in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's in the southwest part of what would now be Turkey, and it was in those days called the Galatian area, and there was a whole bunch of towns and villages there. You may be familiar with one of the books of the Bible. It's called Galatians. And after this first missionary journey, Paul wrote a letter to the churches in that area that he had planted during the first missionary journey, and that's the letter of Paul to the Galatians. And so that's where they went. They're on the mainland. And they came to some towns there, uh, Perga, Pamphylia. And at that time, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And by the way, they, they, these are not easy journeys. It, 
you know, I think Luke writing this leaves out a lot of the hardship, but I looked on a map and, and looked at the elevations and everything. They literally walked from, from the coast where they landed here to get to the city in Antioch. They walked straight uphill, like 3,500 feet up for about 100 miles. So maybe that's why John Mark went home. <laughs> maybe he looked at a map and said, okay, I've, I've got an appointment back in Jerusalem. You want me to walk 100 miles straight uphill? And so they go up there, and uh, this is great because this is the first sermon of Paul recorded in the book of Acts. And, it's, and he, he lays it all out. And this kind of tells you Paul's typical message, especially when he would go into these synagogues. So his audience at first in these places and in the synagogues was Jewish. And so you'll see here, the first thing he does in Pisidian Antioch is go into the synagogue and he tells a sermon in three parts. And the first part is the history of Israel. The history of Israel, which they're going to relate to. And then he's going to show that the end of that, so it's verse 17 through 22, is how Jesus is the culmination of the history of Israel. So verse 17 he says, men of Israel and you who fear God. Listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. God literally chose Abraham and Isaac and, and uh, uh, Jacob and then after that Joseph and David and all these guys. God chose them. And he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Great meaning populace-wise, huge numbers. And then... Uh, he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He led them out of uh, Egypt, you know, you know, the Exodus. And for a period of time of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Remember they grumbled and complained? You know, it, 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 God put up with all that. He had patience with all that during all that time. And when he had, he took them to the land of Canaan, and there were seven large tribes of Canaanites, and God took them and destroyed, verse 19, those seven nations in the land of Canaan and then distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. So from the time they went into Egypt until the land was distributed was about 450 years. So it gives you a pretty good uh, idea because they were in Egypt for a little over 400 years and then they wandered around in the wilderness, that first generation, for 40 years and then it took them about 7 to 10 years to uh, defeat the Canaanites and then distribute the land. So that does add up, just as he said. So now they're in the land, they own the land, it's distributed to them, they, they all uh, settle down there. And then after that, after these things, he gave them judges. So you have a book in your Old Testament called Judges, which was about a 300-year period where they didn't have a king and... Uh, Whenever these nations would come in and defeat them, God, they'd cry out to God, and he'd raise up a judge to help them and deliver them from that. And that was the period of the judges. And then also Samuel the prophet during the end of that. And they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul. And so you have this whole history of Israel that he's laying out here for them. And goes all the way to the second king, David, in verse 22. And David was the son of Jesse and a man after my heart. God's heart. God said that. So he's quoting God. A man after my heart 
who will do all my will, all of God's will. And God made in uh, 2 Samuel 7, write it down, look at it later, God made a promise to David that the great Messiah and the, and the future king, who would be king forever, would be one of David's descendants. And so that's what he's saying here. God chose David to be the father of the coming Messiah. And from the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. So it was predicted that the Messiah would be of the tribe of Judah and of the family of David and be born in Bethlehem. And of course, all of that happened. And that's basically what Paul's saying. Everything that the Bible said all came together in the person of Jesus Christ. So he's laying out the history of Israel there. Then in verse 23 through 37, he's going to say, okay, now what about the time of the prophets? All the prophets spoke of Jesus. So he's, he's going to go through all these, uh, verse 27, uh, all the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled, all these prophets were fulfilled by Jesus. And though they found no ground for putting Jesus to death, verse 28, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, so all the Old Testament prophets were fulfilled and everything was carried out that they spoke of, they crucified him and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, so all the uh, apostles and all the, there was about 120, and he had a bunch of other people up there in the Galilee, we're told. And we now, Paul's talking to that group again, he's laid out the history, that's what we're talking to you about. We're preaching to you the good news. That's what the gospel means in Greek, good news, or the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus, the resurrection, as it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son and today I have begotten thee. So he predicted the incarnation and then he goes on to say in verse uh, 35, 34 he said this fulfilled the promise to David and in verse 35 the resurrection. David said, Thou will not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Speaking of the resurrection. So Jesus was buried in the tomb and his body did not undergo decay because of the resurrection. So fulfillment all the way through. Uh, and we know that he was talking about Jesus. For David, after he'd served the purpose of God, fell asleep, was laid among his brothers, and he did go undergo decay. So apparently the Jews were teaching that that uh, was actually about David, and he's saying it wasn't about David, it was about Christ. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So now the, the next section of this sermon is that it's the gospel, that Jesus is the justifier of sinners. Salvation comes to us through Christ. All Jews wherever they were, were very aware of sin nature. That was a basic doctrine of Israel, that people were depraved. And their solution, though, was to, here's the law, keep the law. <laughs> and their self-righteous leaders were strutting around saying, we keep the law, so you be like us. And, of course, Jesus exposed them all for being hypocrites. 
So the truth was that Jesus came to justify sinners. They can't justify themselves. And so we're told here that forgiveness comes, comes through him, and through him, through Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So that's what they were holding on to, and he's coming and giving them the good news that that doesn't work. You know that doesn't work in your heart. Only Jesus can pay the price for your sin and cause you to be forgiven. And so beginning in verse 40 and 41, you see the last part of his message, which is a warning, a warning. Every good sermon needs a little fire and brimstone. And if you don't believe this, verse 40, take heed, therefore, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, die in your sins. For I am accomplishing work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So he's quoting from Habakkuk, and he's talking about the future judgment because they would not believe. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging, so they're leaving after preaching the sermon, and the people are incredibly interested. We've never heard this before. You've kind of opened the Old Testament scriptures up to us. We want to hear more. Please come back the next Sabbath, next Saturday. So that's what they're saying in verse 42. And then when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, urging them to continue in the grace of God and the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city. So the word passed around. These new guys are here, and they've got this new message, and it's really pretty awesome. And so the, nearly the whole city comes to hear it. And when the Jews, the leaders of that synagogue, saw this, they went, we're going to lose everybody. What is it? This is religious competition. This is religious competition, this, and it's classic. It's like if people were leaving your church and going to another church, the leaders of your church were going, you'd have an emergency meeting. How can we stop this? We've got to stop. We've got to you know, fire the preacher, bring in another guy. You know, what, are, what, is, what do we need to do? And that's what they did. They saw this exodus out of their synagogue to this new way of Christ, and they felt like they had to stop it. And you see, it says, they were filled with jealousy. They saw the crowds, they saw them, the movement, and they were jealous. And that's what happens. I think people, in, even today, from, if they see a great thing happening in another church, they get jealous of that. So we can understand that. And so they were speaking evil things about Paul and Barnabas and blaspheming against them. And they spoke out boldly. Paul and Barnabas, verse 46, spoke out boldly. And it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first since you repudiated. So I, we came to the synagogue first. So we let you in on the truth first. But now, since you are against us, rejecting it, we're going to go out into the Gentile world. So he says, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. And he quotes from Isaiah 49. God knew this would happen. 
God knew that you would oppose us. And so the prophet Isaiah said, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. So it was always God's plan that he would send them to the Gentiles. It wasn't just for Israel like the people of Israel felt like and believed before this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Ooh, that's a little, that's a tough one in there. People struggle with that. And we've talked about that. It's that balance of the sovereignty of God and the free will and however you, like I've told you before, you, you work that out however you want to. <coughs> Nobody can work that out for you. But obviously God is somehow involved. He is sovereign in this process. He's got to open somebody's heart, right? Or there, nobody's coming. But at the same time, the Bible's clear that they make and they are held responsible for their own decisions. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. So they got it made, right? No problem here. Not so fast. Look at verse 50. But. There's always a but. It's never a clear sailing. There's never an open road. There's always a but. There's always opposition. And that's what you'll see in all three of these missionary journeys. Incredible success, but there's always tremendous opposition. The Jews aroused the devout women and prominent leading men of the city, and you're probably thinking, well, what was their problem? Well, we'll see uh, several other times, and probably the same thing was going on here. There was a banner business in selling idols. It was one of the big industries in the first century was the making and selling of idols. So what happens when all these people go to Christ? Business goes in the tank because now you're monotheistic in Christ and you don't have any interest in idols and you don't buy those. And so also all the meat that was sacrificed to all these idols, that dries up. So how do you get people's attention? Money. And so these guys went to the leaders and go, all our business, our economy is going to suffer. You got to stop these guys. And so sure enough, they went after them. The leading men and women of the city instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them and went to another city, Iconium, and as they're going, did they give up? Okay, everybody hates us. They ran out of us out of town. I think we ought to give up. No. Look at verse 52. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God was filling them, controlling them. They were, they were living by faith, and they were focused on what God was doing rather than on the opposition and all the trouble uh, that they were bringing upon, the opposition was bringing upon them. So the big story in chapter 14, as they go through all these different cities, uh, in verse uh, 1 through 5, they go to the synagogue in Iconium, and there's a, a whole bunch of new believers there. But again, what happens? There's also people who are opposing them. They're rejecting them. And they stir up hostility again and threats. 
and run them out of there. Uh, so they did spend a long time there in verse 3, speaking boldly, and a lot of people came, and they planted a church, but just like the other place, they, get run, they have to leave there because of the opposition. In verse 5, I wouldn't want to be there for this, would you? An attempt was made to stone them. That's one thing I don't want to be involved in. And so they said, it's time to go, boys. And so they leave that place. And then in verse 6, they come to some other little villages and cities, Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby. And we get a great story here about something that happened in Lystra, which is real interesting. Kind of tells you something about the culture and the religion that was there when they got there, and what the people were like. At Lystra, there was sitting a certain man without strength in his feet because he was lame from his mother's womb. So they, everybody in the town knew this guy. He was born crippled, born lame. And this man was listening to Paul as he spoke. And Paul fixed his gaze upon him had seen that he had faith to be made well. So this guy was believing the gospel. And so Paul says to him, stand upright on your feet. And he, in other words, be healed. And the guy leaped up and began to walk. And so one thing we've noticed here that the apostles were given, this is a period of transition, whole new things going on here, right? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, Judaism to Christianity, from Judaism to the church was born. So all these new things, God saw that it was important to give them these signed gifts so they were able to speak in the, in the language of the locals and they were able to do miracles. Uh, later on, once the church was established and the Bible was written, that was unnecessary, and so you see that all dry up that by the end of the book of Acts, Paul's not doing any more miracles, nor are any of the rest of them, okay? So, here they are, and he does this incredible miracle. In Acts 14, verse 11, what was the response? They saw this, and they go, hey, remember that legend that we've always been told about Zeus and Hermes coming here? So these Greek gods that were so great that they worshiped, they said, We've always been told, you know, that these guys would visit us. This must be them. Look at what they're doing. Only gods could do this. The gods have become like men, it says in verse 11, and have come down. And they begin calling Barnabas Zeus. He's the head guy. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So Hermes was the, the god of speeches and all that. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just out of the city, brought all these animals that they were going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. There's this huge commotion going on, and Paul and Barnabas are going, what is going on? What are they bringing all these animals, and they're stoking up this barbecue pit, and they're sharpening knives? What is happening here? And they finally figured out, they're going to sacrifice animals to us. Look at these guys, they're bowing down and worshiping us. What in the world? And so they kind of freak out. Verse 14, the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, and they heard all this and they saw what was going on. They tore their robes as a, a sign of grief. No, you can't do this. You've totally misjudged this. Crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We're just men. We're like you. 
the same nature as you. And we're just preaching the good news about Christ. That's all. We're spokespersons for him. This is all about Christ, not us. So what are you doing? We're just here to preach to you in order that you might turn from these kind of things, that you might repent of this nonsense, of this polytheistic religion, and the sacrificing animals to these gods, these pantheon of Greek gods. So verse 16, he says, And in the generations gone by, God permitted the nations to go their own way. In other words, all the Gentiles developed their own religions. But now God has sent us to you to preach the gospel to you. He did not leave himself without a witness. And even verse 18, saying these things, they with difficulty restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice. So it was still, they just, they couldn't get it. They're so ingrained in this polytheistic pantheon of gods and all the superstition that they were hard to control. But later, there at Leicester, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So these Jews, where'd those guys go? We got to track them down. They followed them and they walk in about this time. And they stir up the multitudes. And they took Paul outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. They thought he was dead. They stoned him, verse 19, and dragged him out of the city and just kind of threw him in the, in the gutter and left him there. All right, that's the end of that guy. And while the disciples stood around him, he arose. And so it kind of indicates this, you know, God pretty much took care of him and, he, and, he, and God enabled him to live through this. And so he got back up and entered the city and the next day, they went away with Barnabas to another city, Derby, And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, get this, where is the last place you'd go to if you were stoned in Lystra? Say, I think they just built a big loop, 635, around Lystra. Let's stay on the loop. Let's do not go in the business district to Lystra. But no, they go back in all these cities again to re-strengthen the church and, and to minister to all these little churches that they've planted, you see there. And then verse 23, they appointed elders, so they needed help and management and what have you. And they spent a long, go all the way down to verse 28, they spent a long time there ministering uh, and then they went to the, back to the mother church, the home church in Antioch in verse 26 through 28. And they spent a long time there in the mother church, Antioch, Syria. This, notice there's two different Antiochs. There's an Antioch, a Pisidian Antioch up in uh, Asia Minor, and this is Antioch, Syria, which is a huge town down in Syria at the time where their uh, mother church, their that supported them was there, told them everything that happened there, and they spent a long time there with all their disciples there in uh, Antioch. We also know that in the, this uh, letter to the Galatians, remember I, was, I brought that up a minute ago, Paul wrote the letter to the Galatian churches after he got back to Antioch, Syria, and the reason he wrote it because 
word came that now they had been, we saw the persecution from without, but there's also going to be trouble within the church. And in the book of uh, Galatians, Paul writes them, you can see it in chapter 1, I've just gotten word that you've got a bunch of false teachers there. And they're like teaching in a, a wrong gospel to you, a different gospel. And they're saying you've got to eat kosher and you've got to be circumcised and you've got to keep the law of Moses. And he said, no, the gospel that you believed, hold fast to that and don't add anything to it. Anybody that adds something to it, let them be accursed. And so Paul wrote that letter to the churches up there in Galatians and then while he's doing that, lo and behold, some guys come up from Jerusalem that are professing Christians and try to destroy the church in Antioch, Syria. That's what chapter 15 is. They came up there, these guys from Jerusalem that professed Christ, they were Jews, and they said, oh yeah, we believe in Christ, but you guys, you bunch of crazy wild Gentiles, you've got to come into the fold, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to become Jews first before you can become Christians. And so they said, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to keep the law of Moses and you cannot be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas said, I almost said something profane there. <laughs> they said, no, that's not correct. <laughs> or something like that. But they said it very vigorously with emotion. And they had this big argument and they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down to the church in Jerusalem. We're going to settle this right now, once and for all. And so you have your first church council. All the leaders of the church, uh, Antioch, Syria, go down there. All the apostles come to this meeting. You've got all the heavyweights, all the big guys of the church at this meeting in chapter 15. And it's all about what is the gospel. And it's settled right here in Acts 15. What is the gospel? Can you add anything to it? Can you add any works to it? And the answer is absolutely not. You see verse uh, 5, chapter 15, verse 5, certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed in Christ or professed to believe stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. That's their position. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter and who's the first to speak? Verse 7, Peter, Simon Peter, the big fisherman. He gets up and he, he goes through the history of Israel and he says, you know what? Israel has never been able to keep all these laws. The history, just look at the history. Read the Old Testament. They broke every law for a thousand years. Excuse me, two thousand years. They have always broken the law. And you want to put this burden back on us? No, Peter says. You're saved by grace. Verse 11. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as these Gentiles are. That's it. And so verse 12, Barnabas and Paul got up and made their case, the same case, and told them, look, I know that these guys are already Christian." Because we've seen the Spirit of God manifest Himself in all these Gentiles. They don't have to be circumcised. 
God has already set his seal on them and said, they're mine, they're saved. And last of all, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, and he's the head of the church, stands up and confirms everything Peter and Barnabas and Paul said. And he says, he quotes from the prophets that also speak of this, that the Gentiles were going to be saved and they would be saved by the grace of God based on what God did. And so he directs them, you don't have to be circumcised. This is settled forever. Okay? So it's, it's a great lesson on the history of the church. It's also a great lesson to us on the purity, the essential purity of the gospel and how important that is to hold fast that. And don't let people alter it, add to it, change it. The matter is settled right here in chapter 15. And what if, what if people, why were they so adamant about this? I think all people, whatever religions they are, Judaism or any of these other religions, they expect some kind of a moral standard that man puts on himself. And I saw this, uh, this uh, story about a guy who had been arrested. He was a, a thief, an armed robber. His name was Dennis Lee Curtis. And he was arrested uh, in the act of bank robbery or whatever. And they found a sheet of paper in his pocket. And he used this in his defense. He says, I have a moral code. I'm not like other robbers. I'm not really guilty. Here's my moral code. Here's defense before the judge. Uh, I will not kill anyone in the act of robbery. I will take cash, no checks, or food stamps. I will, only, I will only rob at night when there's nobody there. I will not rob many marts or 7-Elevens. If I get chased in a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent victims or civilians on the line. I will only rob seven months out of the year and I will tithe all that I make. <laughs> True story. And so the judge says, uh, sir, that's real nice, but you will be judged by a higher standard than the one you set for yourself. You'll be judged by the standard set by the state. The same thing goes for the Lord God. We're not judged by the standard men set for us or that we set for ourselves. We're judged by the standard that God sets. And so the message that Paul and Barnabas were preaching is, you know all these goofy religions that have owned you all your life and they set a moral standard for you that nobody could keep? Throw it out because God has sent Jesus Christ into the world to save you from your sins. And this is the only way that you can keep God's holy standard is being in Christ and God imputing his righteousness to you. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with your word and these great stories of the birth and growth of the, of the church that we find here in the book of Acts, how awesome it is. And uh, we can learn and apply this to ourselves as well, how important the gospel is to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.